Acts chapter 9. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for this day and for all you've done for us. Thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. Father, we just pray that tonight you would um, just do something in my life and, Father, in the lives of these people here in front of me. Father, that, they would, that we would all come having learned something from your word. And Father, I just pray that you would give us that thing that you want us to hear tonight. Father, we're so thankful that you've um, given us salvation, given us a home in heaven. And Father, we know that we can come to you at any time. Father, you will help us through things. You will carry us through, Father, sometimes when we just don't know what to do. And Father, I just pray you give us a great uh, time tonight. And again, help us to leave here different than when we came. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> there are moments in our lives that we wonder whether something is real or not, don't we? Ever been to, in that position where you just, hey, I wonder if this is actually real. Is this actually going on? Sometimes we wonder if it's too good to be true. Uh, usually if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true, right? Um, I've been in situations like that. I'm like, no way. No way. I can't believe this is actually happening. No way. It's too good to be true. So you're wondering if this is actually real. You get those phone calls all the time. You've won a trip to wherever, right? You go, no way, and hang up the phone. That's what I do anyway. Not happening, right? It's just not happening. It is too good to be true. And then there's other things that are just too bad to even be real. You just wonder, man, this is, this is really bad. Is this, is this really real? In any case, there are times when we question what is truly going on. All the time in our lives, we don't really know if this is what's actually going on, if there's something different. One of those times I think about is when somebody gets saved. Sometimes we think, man, this is too good to be true. Somebody gets saved, you go, oh, did they really mean it? Did they really get saved? Or is it just, you know, something that they just said or whatever? And so as, as people that have been in church for a little while, we see somebody get saved and we, we begin to watch them to see if they show any signs of the fruit of, of having received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I mean, the Bible says that old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we look for that. Those are something that we, some signs that we look for. And I think there are other times as well. And if you allow me to give you a, an instance, in our house, we've had salesmen come to our house. We've had a couple different times where salesmen have been in our house and they, for whatever reason, my wife loves this part of... Um, too good to be true. And uh, so she, she will invite them and I'll okay it and say, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm all about finding out about if there's any good meat. And another one was a uh, water softener and water treatment thing. And so we had these salesmen come into our house and um, the first, as soon as they walk into our house, I am immediately like trying to find something wrong with them. I'm immediately skeptical. I'm immediately like, there is something seriously, what are, are, what are you lying to me about? What's the loophole? What's the problem? What, what are you trying to get me with? Um, I always check my wallet when they come over. Just want to make sure it's still there. And so I, I, I'm very skeptical. I begin asking myself, is this real? Is this right? Unfortunately, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Now, I've never had any bad experiences with salesmen. I'm not sure why I am that way. Maybe it's just stories that you all have told me that I have that problem. But that's my first initial reaction. 
And I think that can be the reaction of some people in our post-Christian society. Do you realize that we're in a post-Christian society? We're not in a Christian society anymore. We started as a Christian nation, and we, we, we embrace that, but not anymore. We're not in that Christian society. We are a post-Christian. I think we need to come to grips with that. I was talking to somebody this, more, or this afternoon and talking about that, and, and we need to come to grips with the fact that we're not in a Christian society anymore. We are post-Christian. It's after the Christianity, and so that can become somewhat of the same personality or the same question that people have you see there was a time when just mentioning you were a christian gave you some credence hey i'm a christian oh good i can trust this person or i can this that or the other thing listen by saying i'm a christian anymore in our society does not give you automatic credence in fact it makes people very skeptical just the same way that somebody says i'm a salesman makes me very skeptical and there's a ton of reasons for that. I'm not, that's not my goal tonight, to go through the reasons why people get skeptical. But let's just face it. People can get very skeptical when you say that you're a Christian. I believe there is a real skepticism about Christianity. And every time you meet someone new and you let them know that you're a Christian, I believe that they begin asking themselves this question, is this real? Are they real? Is this a real thing, or are they just participating in some fairy tale? What, what, are they, what, what is this all about? And I believe they begin to watch to see if there are any signs that it is real. I begin, like, if, if you think about stepping into a new job or a new position, and there are new people around you, and they begin to watch you and see how you are, and then if it comes out that you're a Christian, and not that I'm trying to say you're trying to hide it, but it, let's say you go around telling people that you're a Christian, the first reaction, I believe, will be they'll start watching you, and they'll have some skepticism about it. Is he really a Christian, or is she really, or you move into a new neighborhood, you begin meeting these new people, is it real to you? I want you to think about some things with me tonight. Authentic Christianity doesn't have to fake it. Think about that. Authentic Christianity doesn't have to fake it. If it's real, you don't have to fake it. You see, the Bible gives us all kinds of things uh, that we can do and all kinds of things that we should be and all kinds of fruit of the Spirit and all of these different things. And we talked a little bit about joy in our Ministry Connect class uh, this morning and all of these different things. Listen, true joy does not have to be faked. It just comes naturally from the power of the Holy Spirit. And peace doesn't have to be faked. It just comes from spending time with Christ and true long-suffering and all of those things all come from being a part of Christ and those are all aspects of who Christ is and part of the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, authentic Christianity doesn't have to fake it. But on the same token, authentic Christianity must have some substance. I think there's a... a, 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 a unbalance here especially in my generation some of you older folks are going yeah this younger generation we hate them and all this stuff listen especially in my generation we have a tendency of being real and i'm all for being real i'm all for being as real as possible and showing you my flaws that i'm not a perfect uh, human being by any stretch of the imagination 
And that's good and that's wonderful and that's, that's, that's openness and honestness. I'm all for that. But the problem is that's usually where it stops with us. The fact of the matter is often authentic Christianity doesn't, or what we think is authentic Christianity, doesn't have any substance. We're real. We do wrong. We, we listen to the wrong types of music. We watch the wrong thing. And, and quite frankly, we're okay with telling everybody that. I saw something recently that said um, it, was, it was somebody saying, uh, going to confession. And they say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And the father from the inside says, I know, it's, I know all about it. It's all over Facebook. There's a lot of truth to that. See, we're authentic in that we don't mind if everybody knows that we've done wrong. But the problem is this, authentic Christianity must have some substance. There must be something deep-rooted if we're going to be authentic Christians. There's a difference between being authentic and being an authentic Christian. You see, if we're going to be authentic Christians, we need to be something different than the world. Something different than the world. So I believe people are asking, is it real? Are you a real person? Yes, I'm a real person. Are you believing in something that is real? Now that's a completely different question. And that's what I want to discuss tonight. So the question is this, is it real in your life? Is it real in your life? Acts chapter 9, look at verse 18. Remember, we're speaking about Saul. Saul has met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And Ananias, we talked about a little bit last week. This week, verse 18, the Bible says this, And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. That's Saul. And when he, Saul, had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? Verse 22, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, Proving that this is very Christ. You see, I want to give you three steps from the life of Paul that we can show that we have a real, authentic, not just authentic life, but real, authentic Christianity. So I want you to ask yourself these, this question the entire time. The entire time I'm preaching, I want you to ask yourself, is it real? Is it real in my life? The first thing I want you to see in order to be an authentic Christian is Paul or Saul learned Christ. Learned Christ. Look at verse 19 with me. The Bible says, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. He was with the disciples certain days there at Damascus. Now, this is not stated in the Bible. So please, this is my opinion, take it for what you want, but I think it bears uh, uh, in the text and I think it bears Paul's character. Do you ever wonder what Paul was doing with the disciples that were at Damascus? Do you ever sit there and wonder, okay, Paul stayed there at Damascus. Paul spent time with these disciples at Damascus. He spent a certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. What were they doing? What were they doing? 
I just happen to imagine that Paul or Saul was learning all about Christ. I just happen to imagine he was learning from these disciples. He was probably sitting there learning all he could about who Christ was, about what Christ did, and what Christ meant to the disciples there at Damascus. Hey, tell me, tell me about your conversion. Tell me about what Christ means to you. Talk to me about Christ. Open the scriptures to me. Talk to me. Teach me. Help me learn. That's what I believe. I believe Paul was probably learning what the Old Testament had prophesied about Christ. We took a look at Isaiah chapter 53 last week, and we looked at that, and that, that was talking obviously about Christ, and maybe they took him back to that and said, listen, this is what Christ is going to go through. This is what Christ went through for us, and this is what he did for us, and begins teaching them. Paul, we know, was an a, a expert in Judaism. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was an expert, and so in my mind, I believe that Paul, again, was probably equating all of these things that he had learned growing up in Judaism, becoming a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and spending all this time learning the Old Testament and all the laws, and he began to process those things and remember, listen, this is what God had promised all throughout there. Now he's beginning to make those ties. He's beginning to go, oh, and the light bulbs are beginning to come on. And he's beginning to learn more and more and more and more and more about Christ. I believe he became a student of Jesus Christ. Again, please understand this is not written. I just wonder what they were doing. And I can just understand that this is, was Paul's attitude. If you would, think about 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. This is what Paul related to Timothy, his son in the faith. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's as if he said to Timothy, listen, I was in the position you were in. And listen, I needed to learn about Christ, and the attitude that I have is I just want to keep learning about Christ, and I want to keep knowing about him, and I want to understand God, and I want to learn of him, and I want to see him, and I want to understand him, and, and I just want to keep going and going and going and going and learning more and more and more and more and more. Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. I cannot imagine, based on this verse, that Paul was just playing Monopoly with the disciples. Hey guys, uh, just scales have just fallen off my eyes and I can see now and uh, let's, just, let's just play some games here. I highly doubt that. I highly doubt they were talking about politics. I highly doubt they were talking about politics unless they tied into what Jesus Christ was doing. I highly doubt they sat around talking about their latest golf game. I highly doubt that. I highly doubt they were talking about their travels unless Paul was relating to them his latest travel of meeting Jesus Christ. I don't think that he was doing those things. Sure, there was a ton of other things he could have been doing. There's a ton of other things he could have been doing. But I believe that he spent time sitting and learning about Christ. Perhaps Paul was sitting in misery about what he had done over the last several years of his life. You ever think about that? Do you ever think about the guilt that maybe he had? Perhaps that's what he was sitting there doing. Perhaps he could have been trying to figure out what he was going to tell the chief priest because not 
Not 18 verses before, we find out he's at the chief priest and he's getting permission to bring those people bound. You see, maybe he's sitting there doing these, those things and maybe he was, I don't know. All I know is I know Paul. And I know that he just wanted to learn Christ and he wanted to know Christ and he wanted the power of Christ to rest upon him. And he didn't, it didn't matter if, if it was tribulation or peril or, or anything. He said, I just want to know Christ and him crucified. That's it. And so it is my assumption and it is my, my giving to you tonight that Paul learned Christ. And I am convinced that the start of our problems in being real is that we don't learn of Christ. I am so glad that you take the time to come to church tonight. I'm so glad that I'm here at church tonight. That shows me that you do have some interest in learning of Christ. And maybe you are spending time with him on a regular basis. But I be, believe the problem with our Christianity and the realness of it is that it's not real. I believe the problem with our Christianity and the realness of it is that it's not real. Because if it was a real relationship, we would be doing all we could do to invest in it. Don't miss this. I believe Christianity is not real to us because we don't take the time to invest in that relationship with Christ. I would say this. Many of us have a real relationship with YouTube. Some of us have a real relationship with YouTube because we spend a lot of time on it. And I'm learning all I can learn about hunting, fishing, life hacks, all kinds of fun stuff on YouTube. It's not even bad. But I'm spending time learning YouTube instead of learning Christ. Many of us have a real relationship with our social media, Facebook or Instagram. Because that's what we invest in. That's what we're spending time in. Many of us have a real relationship with video games or whatever else you want to fill in the blank. We have a real relationship with those things, but how many of us would say, I have a real, authentic relationship with Christ? I am spending time with him. I am learning him. I am understanding him. I am doing all of this thi these things. Listen, if we had a real relationship with Christ, we would be investing in it. We will be spending time in it. We will be putting time and effort into this. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. His really one request, just learn of me. Just learn of me. For I am meek and I am lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Listen, if you want to have a relationship with me, enter into this yoke with me. Have this relationship with me. Connect with me. Learn. Learn of me. I think that what's not real. People don't see a real Christianity because we're not learning Christ. So what are you suggesting? I stop doing all of those things that you mentioned and Stick my nose in the Bible and never come out? I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. But there's this thing that we 
do to ourselves. We begin to make excuse for ourselves. Listen, I'm not going to stand up here and say that you need to get rid of all those things. I'm not going to stand up here and say you need to spend every waking moment that you ever have in the Bible. That's between you and the Lord. But here's what I don't want you to do, and myself included. I don't want you to go home and just go, oh, you know, well, it's not a bad thing. And I'll spend a little bit of time here, and then I'll spend a little bit of time here. What I want you to do is I want you to have a desire. As a heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O Lord. Listen, it's not about what you do or don't do. It's about what your desire is. Your desire will eventually show in your action. 100%. And so if my desire is hunting and fishing and life hacks and all of those other things, then that's what I will default to. Give it a week and I'll default to that. But if my desire is to God, then I will spend time and I will know him and I will learn him and I will want him and I just can't get enough of him and I will learn him more and I will learn him more because that is what gives us real Christianity. Authentic. So listen, you can... You can say to me, oh, I'm real, I'm authentic. Yeah, that's good, and that's good to be honest, and that's good to be transparent. That's good to be all those things. But listen, if you are not learning Christ, I would say, take it for what you will, that we are not investing in the relationship of Jesus Christ. And that relationship is not real. Not real important, anyway. Not only did he learn Christ, the next thing he did was he preached Christ Look at Acts chapter 9 and look at verse 20. The Bible says this, and straightway, right away, he preached Christ. Look where he preached Christ in, in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. The very person that he was fighting against, that Jesus said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The very person that he was fighting against, He is now preaching that he is the Son of God. He immediately starts to preach Christ. And I love that he preaches preaches Christ in the synagogues. You see, if I was going to start doing anything, I would start small. Right? I didn't, my first time I ever spoke to anybody was not in front of this this group of people. It was in a small Sunday school class. (laughs) Less damage I could do there. So the first time I preached, listen, I don't want to do it in front of a bunch of people. But Paul Paul doesn't do that. Paul waltzes right into the synagogue there in Damascus. And you know who, who lives in the synagogue or works in the synagogue and who spends time in the synagogue? Priests. People who are religious leaders, religious rulers. So you know what he does... You don't think word's going to get back to Jerusalem to the chief priests? Hey, you know that guy you sent up here? He's now in my synagogue, teaching and preaching. Who? Jesus Christ. You don't think it was going to get back? Listen, he went all for it. He jumped in with both feet. You begin to wonder, how in the world could he do this? If you are in this position, listen, I'm in that position. Listen, I feel like sometimes I'm a little too confident. But Paul seemed a little bit too confident here. But listen, even though I feel a little bit confident, a little bit comfortable, even maybe standing up and teaching and preaching, and some of you would be like, die if you had to public speak. You might think, well, Paul was like that. 
Paul was just confident. Paul had a, had a, uh, a confidence about him. He, he was maybe a type A personality. He was just a, a great guy. Listen, that may, may, or not, may or may not be true. We don't know for sure. But this I do know. I do know that Paul wanted to learn. Paul wanted to learn. And so when you want to learn... You become confident in what you learn. Listen, knowledge is power, right? We all know that. We all understand that. Knowledge is power. So the more I learn, the more confident I can speak about a subject. There are certain people in this auditorium, if I want to know something about something, I go to that person. Why? Because they learn it. Scott's a mechanic. Been a mechanic for a long time. If I want to know anything about a car, I'm going to go to Scott. Because he's learned it. He has a knowledge, and he's confident in that. Paul, I believe, was confident not because he had a type A personality, but because he had spent time learning. I remember growing up and preachers preaching and asking us to go out and teach and preach Christ. Hey, you need to be a good witness. You need to talk about Christ. You need to spend, you know, spend time t- talking to your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers and all of these different things. And I remember getting real squirmy and uncomfortable when they were talking like that. Man, I, I don't know if I could ever do that. I don't know if I could ever preach Christ. I don't know how in the world am I ever going to do that. Listen, I believe this. We cannot preach Christ unless we have learned Christ. This is what I don't want you to do. If, and I believe God would never want you to do this. I would never want you to get up and repeat anything I say. Listen, you can come to church and you can hear things that I will say. And listen, I, I study hard and I want to I give you truth. But please don't ever go to somebody else and say, my pastor said this. Don't do that. This guy doesn't carry any weight. I don't, carry, I don't have any clout. But you know what does? The word of God does. Spend time in the Word of God and go, hey, let me tell you what the Bible says. Let me tell you what God's Word says. I've spent time in this book. I know that it says this in Acts chapter 9 and verse 18. I know that Christ is the Son of God. I know this because of what the Word of God says. Don't ever do it because of what I say. Do it because of what God says. How are you going to preach Christ if you learn about Him? And when you learn about Christ, then you start preaching and teaching about Christ, and that will inevitably cause you to want to learn more about Christ, which will lead you to want to preach and teach more about Christ, which will inevitably lead you to learning more about Christ. Listen, when I get up here and preach and somebody asks me a question or something afterwards, you know what I want to do? I want to learn more. I want to study more, and then I want to come back to that person and say, here's what I learned, and then we talk about that, and we bring up something else, and I want to talk about that and learn about that, and it just, it's a wonderful cycle. Wonderful cycle. Because when you learn something, you want to give it. The opposite cycle is very simple. It's not learning of Christ, which will inevitably keep you from preaching Christ. A lot of times, even the thought of preaching Christ would lead you to embarrassment. Most people's natural desire when they learn something is to tell someone about it. I have people come to me all the time, say, hey, guess what I learned this week? Or did you ever see this this week? All, all, all the time, I love that. I love when people are studying the Word of God and learning the Word of God. It's amazing. Listen, we need to do that. I believe people will begin to wonder if you are truly a Christian 
if you cannot even talk about Christ. I've said this a lot, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to say, please don't ever talk to me about anything but Christ ever again, but most of the time what we do here in church is not, we don't talk about Christ. We'll have fellowships next door, fellowships out at BPS or other places, and what do we talk about? Talk about sports, talk about, I don't know what, I don't know what ladies talk about. Ladies, whatever you guys talk about. We talk about all these other things. Listen, and I, I'm, I'm quite concerned about the fact that we can talk about all those things, but in church, in, 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 around Christians, around our society, if you will, where it's safe to talk about Christ, we don't. If we can't talk about it here, what makes us think that we're going to talk about it out there? Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am. But I want, to, I want to know Christ. And from that, I want to be able to preach Christ, not only with my words, but with my life. I want people to see Christ in me. People will begin to wonder. You see, because authenticity, authentic Christianity, must have some substance. There's got to be something to it. If you have learned Christ and you begin to preach Christ, the most wonderful, wonderful step of all is the third step. Saul or Paul proved Christ. Proved Christ. Acts chapter 9 and look at verse 21. The Bible says this. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent? That he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. Watch this. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. Proving that this is very Christ. The thing I love about this is Paul was confounding the Jews and proving Christ. Both in the same sentence. Confounding the Jews and proving Christ both in the same sentence, these things are mutually exclusive. You will confound people and prove Christ in the exact same breath. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. 1 Corinthians 1, 27. The Bible says this, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world. And the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. You know what I gain from this? is that God takes the crazy things of the world, the things that could never amount to anything, and he makes them wonderful to confound the wise. He takes a blind man, a poor beggar, and he heals them. He just proved his power. You know what he did? He confounded the Pharisees. 
confounded those religious people. He confounded the world. You see, God takes the weak things of the world and confounds uh, to confound the things that are mighty, the base things. God takes those wonderful, tiny, small things and he takes faith as a grain of mustard seed. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, he says you can move a mountain. And see, listen, proving Christ is an amazing thing. Paul was proving Christ by what was happening in his life. You see, his life had dramatically changed. Look at it. Already, you can see, is not this the man that was persecuting people in Jerusalem and he came to Damascus to do so and to bind people and take them to the chief priest? Is this not the man? Something's different about this guy. He's now teaching and preaching Christ. He's now teaching and preaching what he was so against, what he was binding people up for, what he was throwing them into prison for. This is something radically different. And the only answer that they had was Christ. The only answer that they had was the Lord Jesus Christ. Can people say that about you? Man, there's something radically different about that person. Man, are they ever real, but there is something different. They're not like us. They're different. They don't go through the same motions that we go through. It's just real to them. Is it different? There's no other explanation than Christ for Paul. Are we living our lives that way? Are we living our lives so that there is no other explanation but Christ. See, some of you, as I look across this room, can say there's no other explanation but Christ. I've seen Christ work over and over and over and over again in my life, and you've used that to be a wonderful testimony at work and to your neighbors. Listen, that's what we're talking about, about proving Christ. God is at work in my life. God is using me, and I'm able to then use that to preach, and I want to learn more about Christ, and I want to understand what he's doing in my life, and I want to preach that, and that proves Christ, and it's just a wonderful cycle, constantly moving over and over and over and over and over again. Can people look at your life and say, look at that person, it's real. Is it real? Is it authentic? What do people see when they look at you? Listen, in this, it shouldn't be, look at me. People should be seeing Christ in you. I want you to read that verse with me again, if you would. Back to Romans chapter 9. Excuse me, Acts chapter 9. I said Romans, Acts chapter 9. Verse 22. Do people see Christ in you? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelled at Damascus. Here it is, proving that this is not just Christ, but very Christ. This is very Christ. This is Christ. There's no other explanation. It's just Christ. All we can see is Christ. All we can see is Christ all over him. He is Christ. Christ, Christ. I want, to, I want Christ to be seen in me. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ 
may rest upon me. It's about Christ. They ask you, are you proving Christ? Are you proving the difference that Christ can make in your life? Is God's power making a difference in your life? Is anyone going to be confounded by Christ in you? Very simple. Is it authentic? Is it true? Is it real? Is Christ real to you and in you?